0: as with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, we write this to make our joy complete. That is the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Bridge Radio. And uh, we are um, out of the great state of... Um, 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 Texas TX is. Uh-oh, that is the <laughs> AW Varilla as always. I am your host Julio Omar Rodriguez and welcome to another edition of Bridge Radio. We are on we we, we are on. Uh-oh. What was one of those? What was that? <laughs> God? God? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We're we on episode number 110, and that's uh, pretty crazy that we're saying that. But we, yeah. we are a Christian podcast that brings on Christian scholars, theologians, to uh, talk about theology and their books. Yeah. And today we're going to bring on a pastor, a good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Joel Webin, uh pastor out of uh, uh, the Response Church yes. out of San, uh, San Diego, and uh, he just wrote a uh, study and we are very excited to uh, to, to bring him on. Um, it's going to be on the Book of First John. We're going to be talking about that today. That's awesome. Uh, he he wrote a study through uh, First John titled "Am I Truly Saved?" And individuals such as uh, Just Peters, Kasihan, Ben Merkel from President of Saint Andrews, and uh, Adriel Sanchez from uh, Core Christianity, uh, they've all endorsed this study. Uh, I've been skimming and reading through it, and I thoroughly have enjoyed it. So uh, on today's program, we're going to be kind of unpacking that, promoting it, and uh, talking about uh, talking about that question. Uh, am I truly saved? Can we yeah. really answer that as, quish- as questions? As questions.
1: As questions. As
0: questions. sound like as, El- uh, Elmer, Fudd. <laughs> yeah, Elmer Fudd. Yeah, Elmer Fudd as Christians. So, um, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but before we get to that, how, how are we doing, Abe? How are we doing? Tell me. We're
1: uh, Tell me. we're doing great. How are How are you doing? How was uh, Thanksgiving? Um,
0: Thanksgiving was gnarly. Okay. I ate so much food. Um, <laughs> and surprisingly, I didn't get sick. Okay. Um, I love the ham. Ham, ham is the uh, I, when I think of Thanksgiving I don't really think of turkey I think of yeah. ham ham's where it's at what about you?
1: Um, I try to avoid all kind of a pre-Thanksgiving turkey uh, turkey festivals okay um just because i want to savor the turkey on thanksgiving mm. uh, and but that's just me i'm also the guy who doesn't like to listen to christmas music uh, he is. uh b- before thanksgiving <laughs> i really get upset at that i think it's absolutely wrong and sinful to do that <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah, here at Bridge, we play Christmas music just to kind of get a little like tease. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we get excited. It's oh, right yeah. around the corner. And mm-hmm. Abe walks in, he's like, "What? What is going on here? Oh, yeah. What, what's going on?
1: The the premature uh, Christmas decorating and uh, premature Christmas music playing, it drives me bonkers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it started late this year. So, um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, just had a uh, turkey with my in laws. Uh, they were so graciously enough to make everything, and mm, my wife and I just showed up and ate, and we got to see Mister uh, Rogers' neighborhood. How was that with Tom I keep, Hanks? I keep good it was, uh, it was really good. So um, I, I like Mister Rogers. I, I mean, I love him. I grew he was up Presbyterian. He was a Presby, and I grew up with him just as a, a kid. Uh, for uh, for you listeners out there, I, I am forty one, so I grew up with him in, in that era. In that era, i just a uh, you know late. Late seventies, late late seventies, and early eighties, and all the just the shows that were syndicated on him. Uh, so that was just uh, and the good last time. Year, yeah, good time. So we saw his documentary with him last year, and then the one the I mean Tom Hanks, Hanks is a great actor and did a really good job. I I, I don't know if anybody else can can play him. So yeah, uh, it was really good. So we so, did that in so 10 Bridge 10
0: Radio is endorsing. Uh, what is the movie called? Uh,
1: yeah, I think uh,
0: uh the Mr. Rogers movie. Yeah, we'll just call it that. Yeah, and that, then and everybody. Won't ma- you be
1: my neighbor? I think. Won't you go be my, my neighbor, Why yeah. Neighbor, and then so. everybody
0: go see Star Wars. Hopefully, it's not going to be a disappointment like the last one.
1: Nah, no. Nah, we we, <laughs> we were we were talking about just watching The Mandalorian. So oh, that, so good. So, so we,
0: as as Texans here, <laughs> yeah. That that Star Wars, the Mandalorian. If you haven't seen it, it is a uh, Star Wars uh, cowboy yeah. uh, movie. I mean, you got all everything. The little like, yeah, it's just great. It's just, just go check it out.
1: <laughs> Sorry, we're like endorsing like, yeah, we, yeah. We went, we went to a
0: movie the and then Disney Plus and everything. Anyway, guys. Yeah, so. Um. Yeah. So we are bridge. Raiders please subscribe if you're new to the program. Uh, we have 109 other episodes, everything from eschatology, yeah. soteriology, anything on Christian mm. life, faith, and practice. We yeah. love to study, uh, talk about books. We love studying the Bible. Yes. Um, and that's what this podcast is here, is to yes. bring awareness to great biblical resources yeah. and teachings through mm. written material. Yes. So magazines, books, commentaries, uh, all that stuff, we have it here. Yes, uh, And uh, and uh, and yeah, so we're excited. We're, we're excited. Uh, please subscribe and uh, and please prayerfully also consider supporting us. You can yes. check us up, check us out at uh, bridgemendlaredo dot org to yes, uh, yes. give a one time or a monthly gift of any amount. So, yes.
2: All
0: right, Thank guys. You everybody, um, let's go ahead and, uh, and introduce the the man himself. Yeah. Well, for those who are unfamiliar with uh, Joe Webben, he is the pastor of the Response Church in San Diego, California. He's come out on the program now already, I think this is going to be his third time. Uh, He is a uh, faithful expositor and teacher of the Bible. I've heard many of his sermons. I I love listening to them. And uh, uh, not only is he a pastor, but he's an author now. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, thank you, Joel, for coming back on the program.
3: Glad to be here. Thanks, guys.
0: So, um, yeah, so you're, 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 uh, you're what would you consider, a commentary study, study slash commentary? I know it's in the title, but... Um,
3: uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a, a very brief commentary, but it's, it's more of a commentary slash maybe personal devotion.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, and that's one of, the, one of the things that I really liked about it is it was, uh, it was short, concise, and we encourage people here at Bridge, uh, when you kind of look at a commentary or study, it, you could definitely use it as a devotional daily devotional so yeah. um like that, that definitely functions with your uh with your with your commentary how, how
1: does it feel being an author now
0: <laughs> um, i don't
3: i mean it it doesn't really feel like much right at this point we'll we'll see what happens with the book right I, yeah it's one thing to write a book it's another if someone actually reads it so we'll see
0: right <laughs> Right. So, um, th- do you have any plans with the, uh, with the study? Um, how did it kind of come about? Just you writing it?
3: Yeah, well, I think, so there's a lot of thought behind, uh, this, book. I actually have, uh, two more books that I'm working on. I'm finishing up, um, a, a book on, uh, Jonah. Okay. And then, um, and then right now I'm about, maybe about a quarter of the way through a book on, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I'm, uh, just on elders and deacons, and the church being the, the pillar and the buttress of the church, and so really, my, my thought with it is primarily just uh, as a resource to my own uh, my own family, my own congregation, um, and I, in writing sermons, I just feel like, all right, you know, I I'm trying to just get as much as much bang for my buck as I possibly can. So mm-hmm. I, I figure, all right, if I'm going to sit down, I'm going to spend, you know. Um, a lot of time and energy and effort preparing sermons to to preach to my congregation and it's you know it, certainly it's still a lot of extra work but it's it's not that crazy to to then take those sermons and uh, and revise and edit and turn those into books and so uh, kind of the thought process was just a, an extra resource for um, our church but then also looking to hopefully be fruitful and a blessing to uh, the church at large, and so that's kind of, you know, I, I preached through First John um, at the Response Church, and that was kind of the thought process was, All right, well, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like a third of my pastoral meetings, um, at least in some measure, but usually to a very great degree, uh, has to do with the topic of assurance. People are struggling to know whether or not they truly belong. To Christ, and so I just thought, all right, man, I I can't preach through First John, you know, every every year.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, I don't, you know, I want to be able to to, to preach the whole Council of God and move on to other books of the Bible. Uh, so I was. Uh, that, that's how the whole thing came about. Was me just thinking, I want to find a way to kind of memorialize this particular sermon series mm-hmm. and put it in a really concise, um, accessible form that that I could. Be able to to give to future members of the church that weren't there when I preached right First John and right. things like that, and and then I just started thinking, man, I'd love to use with other topics. And so now I'm just thinking, uh, you know, like every time I preach through something, I think, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, I, I might just go ahead and try to write
0: it go. Right, right, right. Yeah, and even on that on that note, you know, you said you know you have a lot of. Uh, of your congregation, not a lot, but you, you do come across Christians who are struggling with their assurance and you wrote in your book it is one thing to receive eternal life but it is quite another to know uh, that you have right. received eternal life and I, I, I think that distinction is is very significant. So uh, my, my question to you is like as a pastor in what ways have you seen Christians walk their life in uncertainty about their salvation? And can you kind of distinguish unpack a little bit about the, uh, the receive and know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's what's so beautiful about uh, the Gospel of John uh, in in comparison with the first epistle of John. And so, the Gospel of John, I feel like kind of the uh, the climactic verse, if you will, the crescendo is uh, you know the the, the author writes, uh, he says, "I write these things um, so that you might have life in His name." Mm. And uh, and saying, you know, saying that I, I'm writing these things so that you might believe.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: that you might believe and in believing um, in Christ that you might have life in his name. And so you could say, in a, in a sense, that the Gospel of John, the, the primary purpose, according to John himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is he's writing his Gospel so that people might come to saving faith in Christ. That they mm-hmm. see the person and work of Jesus in, in John's Gospel, and come to faith. And then it's like, it's almost like his follow-up, his first epistle, um, he just takes it one step further and kind of the theme verse in 1 John is chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm. So the Gospel of John is like, I write these things so that you might believe and in believing you might have eternal life Mm -hmm. so that you might believe in his name, believe in Jesus, and have eternal life. And then, you know, the first epistle of John, he's essentially saying, um, I'm writing these things so that for those of you who already believe, so that you can now come from faith to assurance. Mm -hmm. So the gospel of John is uh, from unbelief to faith, and then the first epistle of John is from faith to uh, security, to assurance. And so... Yeah, so I I think that um, in in pastoral meetings with individuals, um, I I think that, uh, yeah, I I think that there's a lot of lack of assurance uh, in the body of Christ at large, and and I guess I want to specify, I want to clarify that, say, I think there's um, almost an epidemic of a lack of true assurance. Mm. So I think that there's a lot of people who have false assurance, and then there's there's Maybe not quite as many people, but there's still a fair amount of people who have uh, little or no assurance. So a lot of people with false assurance, you know, that just, uh, uh, he's a good, good father. You know, Daddy, Daddy God, he loves me. How could he not?
2: I'm mm-hmm. amazing.
3: I'm the apple of his eye. Right. And there's there's a lot of biblical truth there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of places where it's like, I guess what I always want to want to push on is, um, do you know the thrice holy God? Mm-hmm. Do you do you know this God who opened up the ground and swallowed people into the earth for sin? Do you do you know do you know this God who who John himself he says that when he was caught up into heaven he fell at his feet as though he was a dead man? Mm-hmm. Do you know this God who Peter when he when he saw Christ and started to realize his divinity he says depart from me for I am a sinful man and mm-hmm. isaiah woe am i a man of unclean lips and who lives among the people of unclean lips do, do you i think there's a lot of people who have an assurance about god but it's because they don't know him yeah. so so my my focus pastorally is to well i think it's that same sequence that john has first mm-hmm. I, I want people just to be confronted with the real whole unadulterated jesus of the bible So I want them to see the whole Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my experience personally, not just pastorally as I'm shepherding members of my congregation, but just Joel Webin trying to get to heaven. I I mean, that's my biggest goal in life is just don't go to hell. And that's that's a full-time job, just loving (laughs) Jesus, not not falling away, examining myself to see if I'm in the faith, knowing that that in those last days that, that many will depart from the people of god and and mm. so knowing those warning verses in scripture which for the record that's one of the ways that god preserves us mm. it's not meant just to scare us it's not fear for the sake of fear the yeah. fear not not being, being an end in itself but it's to warn us to scare us into security into assurance so anyways it's just my own personal experience uh, I it's it's like i had i had assurance and then i had i met jesus and then I didn't have assurance. Hmm. And then slowly, slowly, slowly over time, growing in assurance. And uh, and so that's my concern pastorally is I, I feel like as I'm walking people through through faith, as I'm walking people through this Christian life, uh, it, there seems to be a pattern. People, they come into the church and if they're new to Reformed theology, if they're new to expositional, expository preaching, if they're new to concepts like the holiness of God, mm-hmm. uh, the fear of the Lord, if they're new to these kinds of things, they, they usually, um, their first first experience in our church within the first six months, maybe the first year, is usually not growing in assurance. It's usually losing assurance. Mm. But what they're losing ultimately is a false Assurance. Mm. They came in right. assured of something that they that they may or may not have actually possessed, and so I think there's there's just there's a path. There's there's no shortcuts, is, is what I'm saying, and what I'm learning is I, I think that as we come to know God more, there's this there's this I don't know. R.C. Sproul he used to say there's this sense in which a longing to be with God, and at the same time there's this fear of of standing before him it's like the presence of god Mm. the the holiness of god the face before the face of god it's it's this right you want to run away and yet you never want to leave at the same time yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i'll pause for a second i'm sorry
1: no that's great Uh, i was just going back uh as i'm looking at john and this i guess is a question um as, as I'm reading the epistle of John, and, and, and as you were saying earlier, even first John, it's almost like he's purposely repeating himself of the assurance, as we see in John 6 and John 10 and uh, and, and, and so on and so forth, I am the sheep, and we see in, in, in 10 and 14 and just saying that, like, um, you know uh in 637 all that the father gives to me and, and they'll come to me and I will certainly cast out mm-hmm. uh, i will lose nothing mm-hmm. you know um and that's right. uh and, and, and that's I, interesting because those, yeah, those, those are those uh, are
0: verses of assurance
1: yeah and nobody can snatch them out that's of my right. hands mm-hmm. and i think this is where reformed mm-hmm. theology just becomes even that much more rich that we know that if we're truly his there's nothing that's going to take us away from him. No mm-hmm. one can snatch us out of out of his hand. And, man, that's just very comforting, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, but do you think that John is purposely repeating himself to remind his readers, to remind his people that, hey, man, I need you to remember this, that you are uh, chosen, you are assured, and you will be with him one day?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think it, uh, that's a great question. I think um, we got to take into um, our our interpretation, our hermeneutic. We, we've got to take in the historical context. And so, what John is combating in his first epistle, as far as all the false teachers, one of the most prominent false teaching uh, that he's combating with his uh, little flock, his little children that mm-hmm. he keeps writing to, is yeah. um, the the false teaching of Gnosticism. And so, at one portion of First uh, John, he says. Um, I write to you uh, because you all have knowledge, and 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 I love that. So basically, what he's saying is, just, he says I'm not writing to you guys because you don't know. I'm writing to you because you do know. Mm. And what the Gnostics were saying, Gnosticism is this idea of secret knowledge, gnosis, secret knowledge. And so yeah. what they were what they were peddling was they were basically saying we're this elite group of Christians mm-hmm. who have reached this higher echelon of Spiritual enlightenment, and John takes their same word. It's likely mo- most commentators think that that they actually were kind of coining uh, the, f- the phrase anointing. Now, certainly that's a, that's a word that predates we see it in the Old Testament, but that the, the Gnostics, the false teachers, were using that word anointing to describe this um, this elite, you know, uh, special enlightenment. That, that so there's like Christian and there's Christian.
2: 2. Plus, yeah, mm. and,
3: and so they've been anointed, and and then John just takes that phrase right back from them and says, um, you all have knowledge, and then he says, and you have all been anointed by the Holy One, and the Holy One in this context is the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is that if you're a Christian, you have the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, every single one of you. So there's not there are not some who have been anointed and others who have not, if you are in Christ, Simply by virtue of being in Christ, you have everything that these guys are trying to claim that they alone have. You mm-hmm. are in the, the inner circle. You you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes knowledge, and, and not knowledge in the sense that, all right, I, well, I was converted last night, and so now I have a working understanding of superlapsarianism. Well, yeah. no, mm-hmm. not, not quite. But but what you do have knowledge, because John, he's very helpful, he's very clear, he says, well, you have knowledge about this. And he begins to give us specifics. He says, you have knowledge about the Antichrist. You have a, a knowledge about what it is to not be a Christian, what it is to oppose Christ, what it is to deny Christ. And, and by way of implication, what he's saying is, and therefore you also... You you also, we can assume, have knowledge about what is a true profession, what what it is to know Christ and to Mm -hmm. believe in Christ. And so basically what John is saying is that if you are a believer, simply by virtue of being a believer, even if you became a Christian today— this very moment, then you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and with his anointing, his indwelling presence, comes this knowledge, and not knowledge about every theological topic under the sun, but mm-hmm. you have knowledge about, yeah. and this is part of where we glean the priest of all believers, you have knowledge about the primary cardinal truths of what it means to follow Christ. You know what is a true profession of faith, and who is a true professor. And, and so basically, John is saying, these guys are trying... They're trying to uh, deceive you into thinking that, that you are in the dark, that you're missing something, um, and I think, that this is my, my my interpretation of the text, my, my theory is that that the Gnostics, the false teachers, uh, that they weren't saying, hey, we know something and John doesn't. I think that they, they knew that they couldn't pull off that, that trick, mm-hmm. because John was an apostle, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. So I think they were saying, well, yeah, yeah, John knows it too. Of course, John's He's in the know. But here's the thing. It's not that that we have this knowledge and we can help you and John doesn't have this knowledge, so he can't help you. No, John has the knowledge we do also, but John's holding out on you. See, John is intentionally holding things back. Mm. And so John writes, and he says, no, 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 that's not true, my dear little children. I'm not writing to you because you don't know something. And I'm now trying to inform you of something that, that, that I've been withholding this whole time. No, I'm writing to you because you do know something. Mm. You know everything you need to know simply by virtue of being anointed by the Holy One. And and who gets that special anointing? Every single believer. So yes, mm. all the way back to your question. Uh, yes, I think he's simply repeating and reminding them and saying, hey, the gospel that we began with, uh, that's, that's – that's the meat and potatoes. That's the whole enchilada. That's we haven't moved on from that. We haven't graduated Mm. from that. That's, that's still the big thing to know. And every single one of you knows it. And, um, and you're secure you're safe
1: <laughs> I, I i love you've already said it and as we as you read through through the epistle uh the uh, uh, the epistle of john and uh i love that he calls them little children <laughs> um yeah i, it, I love that too. i use like little children like that <laughs> it's just a perfect example of who, who we are That <laughs> like i mean mm-hmm. That's we right. have we we have our, our our father in heaven and and we are little children and and I, I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, that, that it's great.
3: No, that's good. And I like that, John. He, he uses it so certainly. We are uh, John chapter uh, first. John chapter three. See what love the Father has for us, that mm-hmm. we should be called the children of God. And such we are. So he's, he's certainly. We see that in John's writing, the, the, the yeah. fact that we're children of God. But I love, I actually love that John, when he uses that phrase, little children, he's primarily speaking of them not being little children of the heavenly father, but his little children
2: in mm. the faith. And, mm.
3: and I love that, especially in our egalitarian age that just cannot stand the idea that someone might be further along than we are. We just can't stand it. We just immediately, we're like, are you saying you're better than me? Yeah, And I just think of, I just think of John with a, just this fatherly smile saying, of course. Of course I'm better than you. And I love you. And I'm not holding out on you. But, I mean, Paul, like, think of how charitable. I mean, it's a very charitable um, way of saying something. But, but think of the content of what he's saying. Follow me as I follow Christ, a.k.a. Um, I'm ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm further than you. So there's this sense in, like, I, I love the pastoral heart of John just, hey, you're not just children of God, but you're mine. Children in the faith, and Paul uses that same language. He says that, that I've begotten you. You are my crown, the Thessalonians. I begot. I, I, I have begotten you in the gospel. I'm the one who preached the gospel to you. I'm, I'm the one whose ministry under under my ministry, you were saved. So certainly, God is your father. You hmm. ultimately belong to Him. All glory belongs to God. But, but I'm your father in the faith. And there's a lot that you can learn from me. You would do well to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so John's language of little children—it's—it—it—it's it, it, so—it's so telling because it, it, I think it reveals in our hearts any ounce of pride. Because if we're prideful, I mean, immediately we're just going to think how patronizing, right? How 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 demeaning, hmm. how arrogant. Yeah. But then, but then the question is. We, we always, you know, we, we gauge arrogance by people's tone, tone, mm. tone, tone. The tone police are in full force today in the evangelical church. But but the first thing we should look at is, before we in, investigate the tone, we should just investigate the contents of the of the assertion that's being made. Is it true? Is it true that the Apostle John is further in spiritual maturity and in the faith than the people he's writing to? Well, good, good grief, of course. So if he calls... You and me, little children. That's what we are, <laughs> and
1: it's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, and here, and and I don't want to get too off track because we we do want to get back to your book, but it, it, it's it's definitely about how much do you think his his writing, um, uh, when he's writing, his relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, as as we know that there he was in this inner circle. Um, how much of that do you think played into how how his writing, as far as just being with Christ, him being the youngest, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, yeah, Jesus' birth? That's
3: right, most, and, most common. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, go ahead. Do, I'm sorry.
1: How do you th- do you think that relation that was just so, uh, uh, and, and I guess we haven't. I haven't thought this through and it just came to mind intimate. just because we're intimate, just like, just like the, you know, your little brother that's tiny. You're just like love him in the whole world and you're bringing mm-hmm. him along and he's following mm-hmm. around, which is, might be a different relationship with maybe some of the apostles who were
3: a little older and,
1: you know, and right.
3: so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think John is hopelessly, just hopelessly convinced that, uh, that Jesus loves him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just, yeah. you just, you just, it's just oozing this confidence, but it's not like I was saying. It is. There's not an ounce of arrogance or self-righteousness or pride. It's but it's but, the, but this unshakable confidence, and I think that's a category we just don't really have mm-hmm. in the church anymore. It's in, like it's impossible for a Christian with the eleventh commandment of "Thou shalt be nice" to be confident about. Anything without us immediately assuming motives and and, and inward you know uh, heart intent and all these things, and we we just immediately begin to accuse them of arrogance. But John John shows for us; he demonstrates that there is a way for a Christian to be just hopelessly convinced, just absolutely uh, confident that they are loved by Jesus,
2: mm-hmm. and,
3: uh, and without without there being any sense of pride. I mean John only in John's gospel do we see do we see him being referred to as the disciple that Jesus loves. Yeah. yeah. And and I think I think we're okay with it because it's John. He's been yeah. dead for two thousand years. But what if we did that? You know what I mean? Like what if yes. I in this this book talked about myself and described myself as the pastor that Jesus loves. Mm. I think I think there'd be a lot of people who'd be offended. They'd yeah. be upset. Like, gosh, isn't that kind of arrogant? But, but I think that's the heart of assurance. But the wouldn't it be assurance. true? Though? Being convinced, yes, it would be true, but it would be be true. true. (laughs) That's right, people would get offended, but it would be true. (laughs) Yeah, amen. You guys, the podcast, the bridge, bridge radio, the podcast that Jesus loves. I believe that, yeah, Yeah.
0: yes, (laughs) I, yeah. Um, Joel, there was one, um, there there was one thing that I want that you that you mentioned uh, uh, a minute ago. Uh, you said, uh, um, you know, for the Christian, it's about every theological truth, um, the core theological truth that you believe, not knowing about every theological topic. Um, And I think in some ways, um, and and I I fell into this uh, one time, and and we've come across this at Bridge, to where they see individuals like us who study, who are kind of Mm -hmm. theological nerds, and uh, there's almost sort of this, they're Christian's, like, 2.0, and mm-hmm. I am kind of down here, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm, I'm not really as intellectual as them, um, we've we've right. definitely encountered that, and they mm-hmm. start questioning their own salvation because they're like, wait, this person's able to, you know, thoroughly um, sort of explain justification and sanctification and mm-hmm. quote Bible verses, and, and uh, you know, I remember the first time I encountered people like R.C. Sproul, I was thinking, like, man, they're on another level, <laughs> like, and, and it almost <laughs> ca- caused me a little bit of, like, man, am I truly saved? Um, but now reflecting yeah. back, I was like, well, I believed in the core principles, the core truths of the Christian faith. That's right. And of course I that's was right. saved. Yeah. You know, th- these Amen. people are just, um, they're highly intellectual. God has blessed the church with these men because they're just gifted men. Oh, yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just kind of wanted you to talk a little bit more. You kind of touched ab- uh, touched on it, but a little bit more about that because I- I- I've encountered people who-, who feel that way sometimes.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So So that's one of the things that's so helpful about, uh, John's first epistle it's mm-hmm. only five chapters in length and so it's it's short it's concise and it's clear and it's objective and so so I want to focus on that for a second um, I think one of the things that's so helpful is that um, that John gives us kind of very objective tangible um, visible benchmarks for assurance mm-hmm. and 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 the benchmarks that it gives. So I, I think we just we have to take the Bible at its word. So so what John I mean John writes in, in John's first epistle, this book focuses on assurance of salvation more than any other book in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, so if we're going to say, if we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible give as the objective, you know, measurements for whether or not somebody is truly in the faith? Well, we would have to, we, uh, first John would have to be at the top of the list. And if we're going to look at First John and we say, all right, so what are these objective benchmarks? Well, um, a strong, profound, uh, biblically, Accurate um, understanding and knowledge and ability to um, articulate and teach and inform others of secondary and tertiary and peripheral doctrines is not one of his bench- benchmarks. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah, it's not. Uh, so, 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 what are his benchmarks? So, let me get into that for a moment because I think this will answer your question, and, and I know it's something that we've we've talked about before, and mm-hmm. and that I, I think you are interested in. So, John gives three primary tests. Uh, He gives the moral test of obedience to God's commands. He gives the relational test of loving God and loving the people of God. And then he gives um, the relational test uh, and uh, the truth test. So the the moral test, the relational test, the truth test. The truth test, it all has to do, and this is the key, uh, this is where doctrine comes in. Some people call it the doctrinal test. It all has to do with primary doctrine it's it's not um it's not secondary and tertiary issues it's uh, what it what it boils down to is all about a person's confession and right. and confession being used in the sense of not so much a confession of sin, although we certainly see that in the first chapter of john's epistle, but more so a profession a prof- uh, because here's the thing with confession we've talked about this before on the right. podcast nice. but the, the confession of sin that's only half of christian confession. Uh, but but then we also have to have a confession of faith. So the Christian is always confessing mm. sin; they never claim to be without sin. But they're also always confessing Christ. So so I'm confessing um, I'm confessing the truth about my sin, about my idolatry. Right. So I'm confessing the truth that comfort and convenience are lousy gods. And that they don't ultimately satisfy me. They don't ultimately provide the joy, the peace, the security that I so desperately long for deep within my soul. So that's a confession of sin. I am renouncing um, idolatry. It's like the Hulk on Avengers, where he yeah. he's just swinging a puny god, puny god <laughs> with Loki. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. confessing yeah. the puniness of false gods. And that's a confession of sin. But then we're also confessing the beauty and the majesty and the strength and the all-sufficiency of the true God, our triune God, and that's a confession of faith. So, so John, he gives us three tests. The, the test of, of, of obedience to God's commands, the moral test, the test of, of our love for God and his people— and that's the relational test, and then the test of truth, the doctrinal test. And at the doctrinal level, it's not secondary and tertiary, it's simply a confession of sin, and, and, and that countered by immediately um, including a confession of faith. And the confession of faith, here's the two big things. It's it's a confession of faith, meaning uh, a confession of, of the person and work of Jesus. The person and work mm. of Jesus. Now, the person meaning, who is, jesus well he's he's a man um, but he's also god he's yeah. the god man christ and so the person of jesus and then the work of jesus his his um, sinless life not just yeah. sinless life but substitutionary life because we, we didn't just owe god a debt right so we don't just have the substitutionary death yeah. of christ he doesn't just die in our place you and i we owed we, we owe god a death because of sin Mm-hmm. So because of our sin, the wages of sin is death. So we each owe God a death because we have sinned. But but the thing is we also owe God a life. And, and so Christ, he wasn't just sinless in his life, but the Bible says he fulfilled all righteousness yeah. on our behalf. So we don't just have the substitutionary death of Christ, but we also have the substitutionary life. He, mm. he didn't just die in our place. Yeah. He lived in our place. Yeah. And so so it's that it's that double imputation. It's it's the idea that when I trust in Jesus, not not only is my sin imputed to him, and he bears it on the cross and drinks the wrath of God for me, but also his righteousness, so his life, is imputed to me. So so my sin goes to him, and he dies the death yeah. that, that I owed to God, and his life and fulfillment of all righteousness is imputed to me. So so that. So that all of a sudden I, I have I have given God the death that I owed him because of my sin Christ gave that to him for me and I've also given God the life that I owed him mm-hmm. by fulfilling righteousness and Christ also did that for me and so so this truth test doctrinal test it's it's a biblical confession of sin but also so important, we must understand it's a confession of faith. And when yeah. it comes to confessing faith, it's a, it's a biblical confession of the person of Jesus, the God-man, and the work of Jesus. Mm. His substitutionary life, death, his bodily resurrection, and his ascension in power and authority, seated, reigning as the king at God's right hand. And with this kingship, with this lordship, he uses it to intercede yeah. as, a, as a priest, making intercession of mm. prayers. For all those who belong to him and so when we're confessing that what's key is this the benchmark that john gives for for assurance am i really a christian am i really safe well the benchmark that he gives in relation to doctrine is is that we confess we, an ongoing life of confessing our sin but also confessing the, the personal work of jesus and that confession Here, here's the two big factors it's got to be biblical meaning uh, my understanding in, in theology, I, I need to understand the person of Jesus according to the Bible. It's got to yeah. be biblical. And i got to understand the work of Jesus according to the Bible. It's got to be biblical. And here's the only other thing, a biblical confession of the person work of Jesus and a personal confession. Mm. And that's one of the big ones for me. See, yeah. see, this book is near and dear to my heart because I've wrestled with assurance for years, mm. for years. and And one of the things that I struggled with so much is, is growing in doctrine and not just secondary and tertiary, but, but primary doctrine, the personal work of Jesus, and having a biblical confession of Christ, but not a personal one. So that I can say with, with all confidence, and with full faith, that Jesus died for someone, somewhere out there. I believe in the grace of God. Yeah. But, but here's the thing it is so hard sometimes to believe in the grace of God for me. Yeah. For me. And I think of what Paul says in Galatians where he says, that Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. And so what is the benchmark in in the doctrinal arena for assurance of salvation? Well, not, not secondary doctrine, not tertiary doctrine. Those things matter. But as far as assurance is concerned, primary doctrine, and what is primary doctrine? Specifically espoused by John as a measurement for assurance. It is confessing sin and confessing faith, faith in what? The person and work of Jesus, Mm -hmm. and and what is a true confession of Jesus? Well, it's a biblical confession, so what I say about the person and work of Jesus lines up with the apostolic testimony, and it's a personal confession of Jesus, meaning I don't just believe Jesus lived and died and rose again for someone else, Yeah, but I believe He did it for me.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And I could could just so resonate with that, Joel, um, because there was a time in my Christian walk where I was... um, definitely struggling with assurance. I knew, it's interesting, because I knew the person and work of Jesus, it just wasn't so, and I I I would definitely say I was saved, but it just wasn't as personal to me. And one of the one of the, these are some lyrics that are so dear to me. It's from the hymn before the throne and and in one of the verses it says, uh, you know when Satan tempts me to despair uh, and tells me all the guilt within aboard I look and see him there the one who who uh, who who made an end to all my sin and i remember mm-hmm. I remember sitting across with some friend and um and I was struggling with some sin in my life and and uh and he he turned around or he it was just this discussion with somebody else and he says, if you think that um, Christ's atonement wasn't sufficient from your for your sin, then you really need to humble yourself because you're saying that your sin is greater <laughs> than the atonement of Christ. And I just heard that and I looked at him and I was like, and it was almost like at an instant, it just became so personal to me um, mm-hmm. in that, yes, this is the once-for-all sacrifice and it took me some time thinking about that and finally this just personal moment of I could have assurance and salvation because... If I'm so beat up about my sin, then then, then I, I'm implicitly saying that Christ's atonement wasn't enough. And that's blas- That's, uh, that's a, wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I completely yes. get what you're saying, Joel.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I have to talk to myself yeah. every day and, and remind myself to rest in his finished work and his righteousness, not yeah. mine. I mean, I literally yeah. have to talk to myself. Be like, help me rest yeah. in your finished work, your completed work on the cross. Um, and, and, and and I think that, um, just here at bridge, we've come across people who, um, that are in different denominations and they come to the bookstore and are having a rough time and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, their denomination teaches that they can lose their salvation and man, and I feel, I feel heartbroken for them. And at the same time, it gives us an opportunity to open up scripture and, and show them that, Mm -hmm. No nah, man, you don't have to live like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even if you need to get reminded, yeah. you know.
0: I always, every time, I, you know, someone's struggling with assurance of faith, I always go through Romans eight. Uh, when, when yeah, uh, Paul's exactly. just going through that glorious, you know, I am convinced in neither height nor depth, and he just goes on this marvelous description of the assurance of salvation in Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful, right. and uh, every okay. time I study that, I'm like, man, that's where the assurance is at, man. Like even Paul knew. Yeah. You know, the the, the one yeah. who said, I'm the chief of all sinners, the one who killed Christians and threw him in prison, he's able to say with assurance, because of the work and the personal work of Christ, I, I'm saved. Yeah. By what grace? That's right. And I can't understand right. it. Um, so,
3: how do... One thing that I've had to—one well, thing that I think is so important for people to recognize is, like, so, so everything you guys are saying is absolutely right. I, that's where assurance begins. Mm-hmm. Is by because there's there's a danger in you, you see this with the Puritans um, the a lot of them, a lot Richard Sibs, um, well, I mean John John Bunyan, you know, in Pilgrim's Progress, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's he's he's the main character. Christian is modeled off of his own life, and even mm-hmm. though he begins this path, you know, through the wicked gate and, and Goodwill is standing there at the gate, and he, he asks, you know, to be welcomed in. And Goodwill, he says, uh, with all my heart, you know, and brings him in. And yet, the burden of of guilt is still fastened and and um, around his back. And, ah. it, and it's not until he comes yeah. to the cross and the sepulcher that the that the burden actually finally comes off of his back. Yeah. And people will ask, well, at what point did we become saved? And and mm. I, I don't think it's necessarily that he's saved at, at the cross and the sepulcher. Um, I think that what's what's ultimately being said here is that um, even post-conversion, he was still walking with this immense Mm. amount of guilt and shame and and lacking assurance. And so when you look at the Puritans, because I think, this is what I think, because they had such a rich and robust understanding of the holiness of God and and just historical Reformed theology, um, I think assurance uh, was something that came slowly. So i think in the American evangelical church at large assurance comes for many people mm. too quickly mm-hmm. and and it's um it's shallow it's like a it's like a house of cards its it doesn't have depth it doesn't have root it's not it's not solid it's not true it's not real and so so people have all this assurance but my question is is it is it founded is it is it is it merited? Is it real? And so, in, in churches that preach the holiness of God, and churches that preach about sin, and they preach about God's wrath—not just towards sin, but sinners—and all these kinds of things—I think there's people struggle often with assurance um, because the only assurance they ever really had was, was in many ways, a shallow assurance, yeah. and so now they're having to—they're having to come by a real. A deep, rich assurance. And the first place we have to look is out. And so all these Puritan guys, like, um, you look at their testimony, and, and a lot of them were preachers for years, and they were beating people with the law. And mm. We've got to preach the law, but I mean, but they were battering, some of the use this language, battering the consciences of men. Mm. So, like, battering the consciences of men in their preaching because they themselves were not assured. Yeah. And it wasn't until they came to so men, not just uh, for years of their conversion after conversion, um, struggling with assurance, but years into their pastorate, into ministry, um, struggling to believe that they were truly loved, the personal saving love of God through through His Son Jesus Christ, and it and it ultimately it influenced and informed their preaching to where they were battering men's consciences, but but they were never consoling, they were never comforting, they were they were never resolving. Those fears. I think mm-hmm. of even amazing grace. Twas grace that taught my heart yeah, to fear. My heart to fear yeah. But then grace, my fears relieved.'" And I my my fear is that some people they come into the grace of God through rich, reformed preaching and mm-hmm. theology, and they get just enough of the doctrines of grace for their heart to be taught to fear. But but unless they press on in that grace their fears won't be relieved and so they actually lose their their first experience is to lose assurance and what they begin doing is navel gazing that's what the puritans would say navel so they're looking within they're looking at their own life their own works their own obedience Mm. and i think it's the challenge is that's what john speaks of yeah so like i already said i mean his three tests are your love for god and love for his people your obedience to god's Mm. commandments and and your um confession of the truth of, of the personal work of Jesus. Now, these things matter, but, but here's the key. We have to separate um, how we are saved versus how we come to be assured that we're saved. And so that, that's kind of how I started. We started that in, in the beginning of this episode by uh, comparing and contrasting the gospel of John. I write to you so that you might believe mm-hmm. versus the first epistle of John. I write to you so that you might know. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, is, it is not our obedience that saves us. It's Christ. Yes, And it's not our love for God and His people, but God's love for us that saves us. And it is ultimately not our confession of the truth, but it is Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he, he's, he's the one. So so one of the lines that I've written in the book is this. I, I say that, um, that at the end of the day, uh, it, it's not... At, at the end of the day, it's, it's Christ's work through us that gives us assurance that Christ's work for us really was for us. Mm-hmm. So Christ's work for us saves us. But, but I think what John is saying he's not he's never getting away from Christ. So I think what he's saying is it's all Christ. Solideo gloria. It's all it's all God's work. But but we have to have this distinction between God's work for us and God's work through us. And so we have God's work for us. That's the gospel. God's work through us, that might be your testimony, but, but your testimony is not the gospel, right? Because the gospel is not what God did for me. The, the, the gospel is, it's not about my life, it's yeah. about Christ's life, yeah. you know? And so, so at the end of the day, we're not saved by God's work through us. We're saved by God's work for us. And I think all that John is trying to help us see is, well, how do I know? So, so I know that God has done work for Someone, How do I know that he did it for me? Mm. And I think what John is saying in a nutshell is when we see God's work through us, it it gives us assurance that God's work for us actually was for us. And and here's one of the the key things, all the way back to that confession of faith. I think that the reason why that's one of his main benchmarks for assurance is John wants us, I think, to realize that a confession. If we confess with our mouth, right, believe in our heart, and confess with our mouth, even that right there, we will be saved. Well, even that right there. The question of assurance is: Well, how do I know if I believe in my heart? Well, well, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, so even in salvation, there's there's something tangible, there's something outward, visible, witnessable, something objective that we can look to, and 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 we know that there that it is possible, undoubtedly. For, for there to be false converts, people who have made a confession but did not mm. actually believe. But my point is this. My point is the, the first benchmark that John provides for us is not that we're giving our body to the flames, you know, in, in deep sacrificial love for others. And, and it's not uh, that we're obeying all ten of God's commandments, you know, and rarely sinning. The, the first benchmark that he gives is, do you confess Jesus that he came in the flesh, and that he lived and he died and rose again. Yeah. Mm. And I think the reason why, why is because John wants us to see that is actually not God's work for us. The fact that Jesus came is God's work for us. But the fact that I'm confessing that Jesus came is God's work through me. Mm. So, so God's work through me is producing this confession, and so, so when, when I'm working with people in my church, congregants, and they're saying, I'm struggling with assurance, the first thing I'm going to say is, alright, we need to look at God's work through you, but God's work through you is not the means of your salvation. Mm. God's work for you is the means of your salvation. Now, as we look at God's work through you, uh, the, the, because that's the question is, I, I, God saves us not by what he does through us, but what he did for us. But the question is, what God has done for humanity, how do I know that I'm among them? How do I know that I'm the object of that work? I, I am one of the redeemed. Well, we look and see if there's any evidences of grace in God's work through us. And and the beauty is, I think the reason why John offers multiple tests in his epistle is, I call it um, shotgun assurance. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I think a lot of a lot of people will read First John and will say, "Oh my goodness, I, I got to be loving God and loving His people and loving His people in real, tangible ways by giving generously to the church and to those people who are in need." And I need to be confessing my sins on a regular basis and confessing the biblical confession that's in line with the apostolic testimony of Christ and a personal confession. <laughs> and I need to also have this whole, you know, obedience to God's commands and, and right. blah 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 blah. And, well, look, the, the deal is I don't think John's saying uh, there are 20 different benchmarks, and if you're not hitting every single one of them, you need to think that you're going to hell. No, no, no. no. I think it's the opposite. I think shotgun assurance means, is my theory, my understanding with this epistle, he's saying if you're failing miserably in one area, well, good luck. Uh, here's the good news for you. Here's the, the, the fortunate truth. There's a lot of benchmarks. So, so if you're fairly miserable in one area, let's go look at this, this other area. And, and, and the beauty is that one of the areas, one of the first areas, is a confession. Mm-hmm. So, so what I can do with any congregant that ever meets with me that says, I'm sure with assurance, I can say, hey, can you say out loud for me right now, can you say that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin Mary, and that he lived a sinless life fulfilling all righteousness, that he died on a tree bearing the wrath of God for the elect, for his people. And then on the third day, he bodily rose again, that he appeared to over 500 witnesses and that he has risen to the right hand of the Father.
2: Mm.
3: And if they can just say that out loud, mm. then I can take them right to First John and I can say, this is one of the signs of being a Christian. This is yeah. actually one of the evidences of yeah. assurance. And uh, Yeah, but, but look at the rest of John's epistle. There's some big ones that I'm missing. Well, wait a second. I think th- this is what I want people to understand. It's not black or white. It's not like a light switch. It's either off or on. Assurance, is, it's a scale. It's a spectrum, mm-hmm. if you will. Okay. So, so this all or nothing, well, I, I do think that it is absolutely, We're is absolutely—we're not Catholic, right? So I do believe that it is possible, and not only possible, but I believe it is God's intention and design and desire that every single one of his children would come to a full assurance of salvation in this life. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. However— The way that we get there i don't i don't think we just go from zero to a hundred overnight so the way that we get there is i I think that people who don't feel a full sense of assurance if they don't have this understanding then then a lot of times what they'll do is if they don't feel fully assured they'll begin to think that they should have no assurance Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have any assurance at all and so what i think john is trying to do is he's just trying to say look there are multiple signs multiple evidences of god's work through us and if you can see if you can spot any of those in your life of God's work through you, then that's a sign that God's work for you is for you. So, so if I'm looking at one area, and I'm saying, "Man, this is one of John's tests," and 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 I'm meeting this test to some degree, to you know. And, and I feel like I'm failing in another one. Well, what does that mean? If I'm, I'm if I'm succeeding in one and failing in the other, that doesn't mean I should have full assurance. It doesn't mean I should have no assurance. It means I should have some assurance. Yeah. And and I think. The, the way that we get to full assurance is by first having some assurance, some mm. assurance. Yeah. And and I guess my, my final, I, one last thing, my final point on this is just to say that um, I think that there's a direct correlation between assurance of salvation and sanctification. So mm. so my, my point yeah. is in sanctification and, and being formed more and more into the image of Christ, well, what's the fuel? For sanctification? What's the fuel for yeah. growing in personal holiness? What's yeah. the fuel for putting sin to death and trusting more in Christ? See, here's the thing. If a person doesn't have any assurance that God loves them and that they're among the elect, they're not going to grow. They're going to be immediately, immediately stunted in their spiritual development and maturity and in their sanctification. And so my point is this. um, I think that assurance is the fuel for sanctification, and sanctification is the proof of assurance. I'll say that one more time. Uh, I think assurance is the fuel for sanctification. Being convinced that God loves me is the fuel in the tank for, for me to grow in Christ's likeness and sanctification. Mm. And then here's, here's the ticket. Sanctification also works backward as, as the proof that, that I actually belong to Christ. Yeah. And so so my sanctification g- gives me confidence that that I really should have assurance, and then that assurance gives me fuel, motivation to be further sanctified. And I think a lot of Christians, especially in the Reformed Church, where the holiness of God is preached, where sin is preached, where the fear of the Lord is esteemed, uh, I think that there are a lot of people who have just got in a rut. They've just, they're stuck. They yep. are stuck because because they're not being sanctified, so so they're not able to look at God's work through them, right? So justification—that's God's work for us. Sanctification is God's work through us. So if they're not being sanctified, or they, they're convinced that they're not being sanctified, they probably are, but but they don't think they're being sanctified. Then they they can't look at God's work through them to give them proof of assurance. But if they don't have proof of assurance, then they don't have the fuel for sanctification. And this thing that's meant, I believe thats meant my God to be this beautiful cycle becomes a vicious cycle, a vicious cycle. Because if I don't have confidence that God loves me, then then I don't have any motive to grow in Christ's likeness. But if I don't grow in Christ's likeness, then then I'm going to continue to struggle with confidence that Christ actually loved me and gave himself up for me. And so I think all that being said, I think that's why um, the Christian life begins with assurance, hmm. yeah. not not full assurance. I think full assurance. There, there's a path, there's a journey, there's hmm. time, but 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 the Christian life, I believe, be, has to be, begin with some assurance. And so, what what is the first thing that we can look at to have at least some assurance that God really loves us, so that we have the fuel to be sanctified in order to gain more assurance? Well, the first thing that John gives us is our confession. Wow. From the moment of conversion, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. And if a person has believed in the heart and confessed with their mouth, well, guess what one of John's benchmarks is? A confession mm. of the person who work of Jesus. And so that person who's been saved for all of five minutes, I can pastorally look at them and say, hey, you're already needing one of the tests. You should be assured. Perfect, full assurance? Hey, maybe not yet. Let, let's let's take some time there. But you should definitely have some assurance. Uh-huh. And then with that some assurance, you've got some gas in the tank. And with that gas, you can push on that gas pedal and move in sanctification. And guess what? The second you begin to be sanctified, start looking a little bit more like Jesus with love for people and love for God and obedience to His commands, well, now we've got more things to point out mm-hmm. for assurance. And then that assurance gives you more motivation for more sanctification. And it's just this beautiful thing. And so it's meant to be a beautiful cycle that I believe sanctification and assurance, assurance and sanctification, it begins right at the moment of conversion with a confession being a proof of assurance leading towards more sanctification. And, and so God starts us off right in conversion. But I think... That, that tragically, many people in, in good Bible-preaching churches today, myself, as as an example, looking at my own experience, we, we just get, we get stuck to where all of a sudden it's like, I'm not meeting all the tests. I, I, God is thrice holy. You're, starting, you're understanding the holiness of God and His hatred towards sin in a way that you never did before. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you, and therefore, as you're seeing the holiness of God so clearly, you're seeing your own sinfulness so clearly. And all of a sudden being slapped in the face week after week with good expositional reform preaching with your own sin, D- dude, it's just like you, you just begin to think there's no way that I'm a Christian. Because if I was really a Christian, I would be like Paul Washer and I would be like R.C. Sproul and I would be like John <laughs> MacArthur. You know what I mean? And yeah. you you look at that and you're like – and you just get you get discouraged. And so I guess I just want I just want to leave it by saying – Look at First John and look at all these tests and don't get overwhelmed. Hmm. Keep thinking if, if you're reading John's first epistle, if you ever read my book, you know, God bless you if you buy my book. Mom, if you're listening, you're probably <laughs> the, the number one person. But if you just keep this phrase in your mind, shotgun assurance. John doesn't give a million different benchmarks to say if you don't meet all of them, you go to hell. Right. Uh, yeah. He gives a million different benchmarks so that every single genuine believer— will have something to look at and say, Jesus died for me. And that's why John says in chapter 2, I write to you little children. He, I write to you fathers. I write to you young men. He, I think he's talking about different stages in the Christian life. Yeah. The, the, the little child beginner, uh, the, the father who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, and the young man who's somewhere in between. And he's saying no matter where you are in your journey of following Christ, there's something you can know. There's something you can be confident about. There's something you can be assured
1: us that uh, that's great and um i uh, thank you very much for that i i think the people who are listening to this are going to get out uh get a, a lot out of it and please go pick up his book but um i i did want to ask just one more question here as we're getting uh at the hour mark and before we land this plane Joel, how does the enemy play a role in in lying to us about assurance if you can just sum that up and real quick, I know it can be longer, but uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. And your thoughts on that?
3: Mm-hmm. How does the enemy lie to us about
1: our? I, yeah, well, how do they? How does the enemy play? I mean, we talked about John Bunyan, and you know, we were using that illustration. You had the worldly wise men and what he was doing to Christian Durham. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 just telling them, right? Th- and 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 just if you had just some thoughts, how? Because you know, I we read, uh, you know, Peter, First Peter, five, eight. You know, and there is a spiritual battle out there as well. I, I mm-hmm. think you would agree upon that. Yep.
3: I yeah. So I I think I would want to just specifically speak to the Reformed folk, mm. if you will, and yes. just say that I think so, I think sometimes we oversell the doctrines of grace. Hmm. I know that sounds horrible. I mean, how can you oversell the doctrines of grace? They're beautiful. But sometimes we we just, because of the perseverance of all saints, and we know that if we persevere, it's because ultimately it's the preservation of all saints. God preserved us. Man, I mean, Romans chapter 8, the golden thread golden chain of salvation, those he foreknew. Mm. There's no way to fall out, right? If if you've been foreknown, then you will be all the way to the end glorified. Mm. Praise God a thousand times. Praise God. However, I think if we're honest, so this this might almost even sound blasphemous, but I'm just going to be honest for my own struggles, my Mm. own fears and doubts about salvation. When I became a Calvinist, I thought that my battle with assurance would be done. Mm. And, and if I'm just being completely frank it wasn't and mm. the reason why is um, the the non Calvinist struggles with the fear that God might stop loving them mm. the Calvinist struggles with the fear that, that maybe they'll find out that God never started loving them mm. right yeah. so if we're honest I mean if we're yeah. just going to be real for a second yeah. I yeah. think we have to admit that, that for the Calvinist like yes no one can pluck you from his hand but 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 what is the devil going to do to answer your question people yeah. well, like, what's the easier—I mean, think about it from, from the devil's standpoint. I, um, you know, maybe maybe don't think about the devil's standpoint too often because that might not be a good practice. But just yeah, for a yeah. moment here, indulge me. Um, I, if, if I'm the devil, right, and I'm the father of lies, mm. um, and I'm thinking, like, what, what is the most strategic, the most effective way to hamstring this person's sanctification? Well, like I said earlier, I'm going to try to go after their assurance because that's the fuel for it. And, And what's the easiest way for me to get rid of their assurance? Well, rather than going to all the work to try to undo their good Calvinistic theology, Right? rather than trying to somehow convince them that um, preservation of all saints actually isn't a biblical doctrine, or rather than trying to convince them that Romans 8, you know, try to get them to read it in, in, a, in a, some kind of Arminian light instead of a good reformed, you know, lens. Like, rather than doing all that theological heavy lifting, if I'm the devil, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to tell that person that, yeah, the doctrines of grace are real. Absolutely. And of all those that God saves, he keeps you just want one of them mm-hmm. yeah, I so think- i think what satan does for the calvinist for the good the good reformed folk out there i i think what satan does is ra- rather than convincing us that somehow we can lose salvation we know better than that well he just what he does is he just says hey matthew chapter 7 many will say on that last Lord, day, Lord Lord, 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 and what was what do you say? He doesn't say, "I, I don't know you anymore." Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. It's not like you were His, and then and then mm-hmm. you weren't. No, He says, "I never knew you," yeah. and and that's the fear. So yeah. the Calvinist fear, when, when when it comes to assurance, is the fear of standing before God one day mm. and and finding out I was never among the elect. I was never one of His. I was, and and I think <laughs> I think that's I think that's his strategy. And I think the way that we combat that is we, we have to have shotgun mm. assurance. We, we have to, and that's not to make light of sin. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. to make light of holiness. And what I'm saying is, look, if you want to be holy, you've got to be sanctified. And if you want to be sanctified, the only way I know how is to be certain that God loves you.
1: Yeah, I think uh, People
3: who are not assured will not pursue holiness. They yeah. won't go ahead
1: i'm sorry I, yeah i was just thinking about rc Sproul. i heard rc Sproul say one time he's like um if i died and and i woke up in hell uh i would be surprised but he's like i would know that i would deserve it <laughs> and i was like yep. man what a way to think that like because he knew that we don't deserve uh god's mercy and his and, and his grace um, yeah. and and he, he recognized that we deserve death. Mm-hmm. And, right. and it was just a, f- it was just a comment that he said, and I'll never forget that he said that. And he's like, that's right.
3: And, and he also said, and RC, he has a little book also on assurance. And he oh. also, when he's basically the gist of his whole book, like if I could sum it up and, and then you could not buy his and we could afford to buy mine instead. But if I could sum <laughs> up RC's book, you know, basically um, what he says is this. He says, if you want to know whether or not you belong to Christ, well, he, here's a question, and he's using one of John's tests. He says, "Do you love God?" Mm-hmm. And and but this is that's it. Do you, just do you love God? And, oh, and but then here's the thing. He he he, he works it out further. And he says, um, and he says, and this is who God is, right? Because there's a lot of people who think they love God, but they don't love the God of the Bible. So this is who God is. Now, do you love that God? Okay, and do you love Him fully? Well, no. Do you love Him a lot? well, maybe not as much as I would like. And then he ends it by saying this, do you think you love him at all? Mm-hmm. At all. And then he basically just says, if you were a non-believer, you wouldn't love him at all. Yeah. You would hate him. Yeah. The mind of the sinful man, Romans chapter 8 again, is hostile, not indifferent, right? Not just lukewarm. No, the mind of the sinful man is Hostile towards God. It does not submit to His law. It does not um, honor Him or obey Him or love Him or seek Him. Right, Romans chapter 3, no one seeks for God. And so, again, this is not lowering the bar of holiness. This is simply saying that we want to pursue holiness with everything we got, but we won't if we don't have at least some confidence that God loves us, and we'll never have any confidence that God loves us if we set the bar for assurance so high that you've got to be the most Fantastic green beret Navy SEAL Christian of all time to ever have any assurance, and so I think RC is, he's on to something. I think he's he's getting to the heart of what John's getting to in his first epistle. He's saying, "Look, let's just start small. Yeah. Do you have any love for God? Yeah. Because because if you want if you want in Christ, you want to love Him even an ounce. So if you've got an ounce of love for God, well, my goodness, you've got a long way to go. That's true, but you're saved, right? You have to be. Yeah. You have to be." There's no other option. Biblically speaking, if you have an ounce of love for God in your heart, you're saved. Because a non-Christian can't. Period. Yeah. Amen. And so I think we have gotta raise the bar with holiness. But to get there, we need to lower the bar with assurance. And, and that's not to produce false assurance. But I think I think in order to lower the bar for assurance without producing false assurance, we have to we have to theologically have a framework of that spectrum of assurance. Mm. We have to have a category for some assurance on the way to full assurance.
0: Amen. 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 Well, Joel, as we always like to end the program with the presentation of the gospel, the floor (laughs) is yours to share it.
3: All right. The gospel is not God's work through us. The gospel is God's work for us. The gospel is the life, the death... resurrection and ascension of jesus christ that he lived in my place he died in my place he bodily rose from the grave as a promise as a first fruits of what will take place for all those who trust in him and he has ascended to the right hand of the father where he is now seated in power and in glory and majesty where he is interceding on behalf of all those who hope in him. And the beautiful thing about the prayers of Jesus is that they always get answered. Jesus does not pray in vain, even in John chapter 17, right before his arrest, before he goes to the cross. Jesus says, I do not pray for the world." Jesus does not pray for those who he does not save. Those that Christ prays for, are those who he promises to save and to keep and to raise up on the last day. The prayers of our high priest are efficacious. They are effectual. They are guaranteed. And so um, if you are trusting in Jesus, that faith, that faith in Jesus, it needs to be knowledge, it needs to be assent, it needs to be trust implicit trust in both the person of jesus that he is the god man and in the work of jesus his life death and resurrection and if you have a both biblical confession of jesus and at any level a personal confession of jesus even though you doubt even though you struggle you believe at some level that god died for you jesus died for you and you have some measure of love for him and then, then let that be an encouragement let that be a comfort and if he is taking you that far he will take you the rest of the way mm. mm.
0: wow. alright ladies and gentlemen well that is the gospel and we want to encourage everyone to pick up Joel Webin's, uh study Am I Truly Saved study through First John um, Joel's honor and privilege to have you as always and uh, where can our um, audience pick up your book where can they get it
3: Yep. so we just, I, I just finished the publishing for it and um, my, my, uh, my my friends and I, we have some other leaders and, uh, in ministry. We're launching a ministry right now similar to what you guys are doing with Bridge. We're launching a ministry called Right Response. So so our church is the response church, but we're launching a new ministry called Right Response Ministries. And to start off, we're, we're going to have it on Amazon, and Kindle, all those things in the future. But to start off, we're just going to have the book available uh, in digital format and uh, with a physical copy on RightResponseMinistries.com, and we'll be launching that, uh, Lord willing, January first, the beginning of this new
0: year.
1: Oh wow, that's awesome! Alrighty, alright. Are we uh, are are we able to get the a book and maybe do? Yeah, a yeah. I was
0: I was uh, I was talking with Abe um, um, that we would love to do a uh, book giveaway. So for our audience, the first one That'd who be great. who emails well, me I actually have.
3: A few hundred physical copies, and I'd love to give you guys some for free, and you could give them away
1: to whoever you want. Yeah, all right. So, so make the announcement.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, if, if you're listening to this program, you want a, a hard copy of it. Um, I guess what do we do? Uh, uh, five. Uh,
3: for,
0: the fir- I'll the, mail the fir- it to you guys, and then you guys send it to them. Yeah, all right, yeah, all right, absolutely. all right. So let's do this. The first five uh, 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 people to email me at Julio at org. Uh, and, uh, and to uh, send me a picture of a review, rather on iTunes, Google mm. Play, uh, of just how Bridge Ministry has blessed you or how you enjoy this podcast. Yeah. Um, send me that picture in the email Julio at bridgeminlaredo First five, you get yourself a free copy, and we will send it to you
1: anywhere in the world. Robert. Yes,
0: anywhere in the world. Ro- yeah, we've world. been
1: we've been sending out a lot of books uh, overseas. We have. So the
0: Australians cause... over there, uh, and <laughs> yeah, our Australian uh, uh, listeners. This is your shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Joe. Well, hey, th- thanks. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. And uh, yeah, we got to do it again. Yeah. We got to do you, it John. again.
3: Yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that wraps it up. Uh, that is our first December episode. I yeah. believe me and Abe were just talking right now. I think we're going to do another one. Yes. Uh, 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 before the uh, end of the the end of the 2019 yeah. Bridge Radio uh, yes. season. So, what are you going to say?
1: Yeah, we're we're yeah, we're gonna try to do one and maybe 2 or i I'll discuss with Julia, but we are. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll
0: see. I mean, well, I, I've talked with Abe. and when you do 110 podcasts just straight, sometimes you gotta you gotta take a little break. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We're we're gonna do another one, and we'll announce the the last one. But anyway, guys, <laughs> as we always end the program with one question: What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, and life and death my faithful Savior Jesus Christ and we will see you on the next
1: one later